Good morning. Been given the task to introduce our speaker this morning. Uh, he really doesn't need an introduction, but uh, for uh, our visitors, Jerry is from Mount Sterling, Kentucky. He's married uh, to Jean. They have two children, four grandchildren, two girls, and two boys. He is one of two preachers at the Rolling Hills Congregation in Mount Sterling and one of six elders. Uh, he helped uh, preach at, or he preached at uh, Grant County when we started the congregation up there with Evangelize Kentucky. Uh, he has been an evangelist for 45 years. Uh, and I guess the thing that I'd have to say about Jerry is he loves people. And he told me this morning because people have souls. And I think we've already heard that three or four times that uh, he cares for souls. And you'll, you'll no, notice that as he uh, preaches to us today. Jerry, come preach to us. <clears throat> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote about the carpenter's son who said, leave all and follow me and we'll fish on the earth instead of the sea. The carpenter's son walked all around on hills and in valleys from town to town preaching repent for the kingdoms at hand and driving out demons throughout the land, healing the sick and raising the dead. And some people listened and heard what he said, but others were mad for he stepped on some toes. But instead of changing, they increased their woe. They tried him and mocked him. Upon him they spat, and the carpenter's son so humbly just sat. They questioned intensely, but his words were few, for he knew from the prophets the things he must do. They hung him on Calvary. He hung till he died, and they mocked him until he gave out his last cry, and the darkness prevailed, and the curtains were torn, and the soldiers then realized what they had done, and the whole world trembled from mountain to side. For he was not of the carpenter, but the son of our God. A rich man named Joseph then asked for his bones and wrapped them in linen and laid them alone in a tomb where no man had e'er before slept, and a great stone and soldiers stood guard but inept. On the third day the soldiers were stricken with fear, and a stone was rolled back from the tomb dark and drear. And Jesus emerged as he often had said, They will kill me, but I will arise from the dead. He saw his apostles and spoke to them all, though some of them did not believe what they saw. But seeing the hands where the nails had been, they started to trust and believe him again. The carpenter's son is now reigning on high. He sits at God's right as the ages roll by. and He'll return here someday to judge us all fair, and the saved ones will meet him up there in the air, and the whole world will tremble from mountain to side. Because family... He's not of the carpenter. He's the son of our God. I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus. And the reason I want to talk to you about Jesus is because you need him. You need him. And if you don't already have him, you really need him. And you're good friends and neighbors and relatives and co-workers and acquaintances. Good, honest people. People who don't curse, people who don't steal, people who would never cheat you in a business deal, good moral people need him. 
And if they don't have Him, they have to have Him before this life is over in order to have eternal life. Jesus said an interesting thing in Matthew 12 and verse 43 to the scribes and Pharisees. He said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty. Isn't that interesting? Empty, swept, and put in order. And so he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So also will it be with this wicked generation. You see, your friends and family and co-workers, people who don't have Jesus, they might be good people, but they haven't filled their houses up with anything. They have driven maybe the good out, and uh, they are wondering maybe what to do next. That's where you share Jesus with them. It was the Apostle Paul who said in Galatians 2 and verse 20, he told us what he, with what he filled his empty house, didn't he? He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The little boy came home from Sunday school and said, Mama, the teacher said Jesus was supposed to live in me. And she said, that's right. He said, won't he stick out? Well, yeah, <laughs> he will. That's the idea. He's supposed to stick out all over the place. People are supposed to be able to see him. That's what Paul said, wasn't it? When people see me, they see Jesus. Can you say that? Your friends, these good people, they need him desperately. They need him because Jesus said in Matthew 7, beginning with verse 21, Not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out devils or demons in your name? Did we not do many wonderful works in your name? And he said, I will say unto them, Depart from me, ye who worketh iniquity. I, I never knew you. Therefore, because there's going to be a day such as this, as described in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, verse 24 says, Therefore, if anyone hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him or her unto a wise person who built his house upon a rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it stood firmly because it was built upon a rock. But if anyone hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will liken him unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. There's not a child in here who has ever been to vacation Bible school that does not know what happens to the house built on the sand. You know, don't you? It goes splat. And so you want these good friends and neighbors to fill up their empty house with Jesus you want them to build upon Jesus the rock of ages. Some build their hope on the ever-drifting sand, the songwriter said. Some on their fame or their treasure or their land. But mine is on the rock. 
that forever shall stand, Jesus, the rock of ages. The reason you need to build your house upon Jesus, the rock of ages, is because you need to be justified. He is the justifier. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then you skip down to verse 9 of Romans 5. Much more than having now then been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And if you wonder what justified means, it is defined in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. What did it say? It said, our sin has been imputed to Jesus and His righteousness to us. He stepped in for us. That is how we are justified. The believer in Christ can look forward to redemption because uh, redemption of his body and an internal, uh, eternal inheritance because he's been justified. Justified. The second thing that he does for us is he is our emancipator. Sets us free. There were groups when slavery was legal in America many years ago, there were groups who would get together and raise money and go uh, to where slaves were being held and buy them, and then tear up the bill of sale and, get, and let them go free. Emancipators. They would let them, uh, allow them to be free. Well, that's exactly what Jesus does to you and me. He frees us, first of all, Romans 8 and verse 1, from the condemnation of sin. Romans 8 and verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do, not walk, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. If you're walking in sin and have not been justified, have not been emancipated, have not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, then uh, you're lost. And you're enslaved, Romans, uh, or, uh, uh, Ro- yeah, Romans 6 and verse 16 and following says you are a slave to whomever you choose to obey, whether to God for righteousness or Satan, sin and Satan. You're somebody's slave, somebody's servant, and you've chosen to be such. Well, you're free from the condemnation of sin in Christ. The blood of Jesus frees us. Also free from the control of sin. Romans 8 and verse 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit on things of the Spirit. You are controlled by something, and you allow yourself to be so. And so you're free from the control of sin in Christ, free from the condemnation of sin. Thirdly, free from the corruption of sin. Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 and following, especially verse 28, has a whole list of horrible things. And it says they they were so sinful, God gave them over. He allowed them to uh, uh, just do that. And, And because they no longer thought of Him, they were corrupt. 
I don't know why I think of this when I'm thinking of this particular thing. You, it, it's hard to figure out how my mind works. But uh, when my children were small, we had a preacher that taught them a little song um, about morals. And one of the lines was, please don't smoke, give your tobacco to a billy goat. And the second was, don't drink booze, save your money and buy some shoes. But I, when I think of corrupt, I think of the third thing that he taught them. Don't smoke pot. If you do, your brain will rot. Corrupt. You know people who have been corrupted by sin, don't you? You know people who are rotten because they've allowed Satan to take over their lives. And you know how to fix that. The blood of Jesus. And so he is our emancipator. He sets us free from sin. And then thirdly, he is our substitute. Now the Bible uses this big old 12-cylinder religious word called propitiation. But it's not that complicated. It simply means he stepped in and took my place. Look at Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 24, if you will. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. The preacher was uh, trying to explain propitiation to the old country boy and he got about halfway through the explanation and the old boy stopped him. He said, I got it. I know what you're trying to say. He said, what you're saying is he took my whooping for me. That's right, he did. That's exactly what he did. He stepped in in my stead because I couldn't do it. I can't save myself. I can't do enough good things. I can't give enough money. I can't uh, attend enough church services. I can't memorize enough Bible to save me without that propitiation, without that blood of Jesus stepping in and taking my place and doing for me what I could not do for myself. He is my substitute. And God initiates that. He already looks upon us with loving favor even when we are sinners. Look at chapter 5 of Romans. Let's start with verse uh, 6, why don't we? For when we were still without sin, uh, without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, he stepped in and uh, substituted himself for us. Now, I've used this illustration for years, and my wife says it's not as clear as you think it is, but I still think it's good. Um, <laughs> you're sitting on the front porch drinking sweet tea, and the kindest little child in the neighborhood comes running around the corner of your house, right out into the street in the, front, in the path of a bus. And you jump up off the porch and you run over and grab him and snatch him from the path of the bus and save his life. He's that little kid that gets your paper for you and puts it up on the porch. That uh, does uh, picks up things in the neighborhood. And, and uh, he's just the sweetest little kid. And, and so you want to save him. But then the same thing happens and you're sitting on the porch 
and the brat from the neighborhood comes running around the corner into the path of a bus. Now he's the one that pulled up your flowers, and he's the one whose dog is always messing around in your yard, and he's the one that threw the ball through your window and didn't apologize and didn't pay for it. And he's, you, you just wish he and his family didn't live there. Do you save him too? Do you run in front of the bus and save him too? God did. Jesus did. You and I were the brats of the neighborhood. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so he is our substitute. Another thing we notice about him is he is unique. Never been one like him. Never uh, will unequaled, unique. Never been one like him. Never will be another born of a virgin. Uh, That's never happened before. Never will happen again. The bloodline was miraculously preserved through Joseph and Esther and on and on and on. Because he had to be the one who came from a certain bloodline at a certain time in a certain place. The prophets, over 300 prophecies, specific prophecies, talk about him. And the chances of that even happening once is uh, astronomical, but it happened over and over and over again with Jesus. And so uh, he is unique. Uh, John uses the word only begotten. Unique, one of a kind, monogenes, one, monogenes, Genesis or genetics. Never been another one like it. Never will be. The Roman writer said in Romans 5 and verse 15, by one man the grace of God abounded to many. It had to be that one man. And nobody else could do it. And so that's why our neighbors and friends and you and me, that's why we need Jesus Because he's the only one that could have saved us. He's the only perfect sacrifice. The only sinless one whose blood gets rid of all of our sins. And then, he is not only our justifier, our emancipator, our substitute, our unequaled, unique, one of a kind. Of course, you know him as your Savior. You know that uh, he is our champion, our rescuer, our uh, uh, Lord and Savior and Messiah and the promised one, the chosen one, Romans 5 and verse uh, 6 through 9. We read all the way through verse 8. Let's read verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved, saved from wrath through him. There's only one Savior. Only one who could have done that. And uh, the benefits of his death are not extended, though, without conditions. You don't just say, well, I like that Jesus. I think I'll I'll, uh, get in line with him. A lot of people tell you that's all you have to do. But the Bible says in Mark 16 and verse 16, uh, Jesus himself, if you want to look in your red letter edition of the Bible, these are Jesus' words, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What am I supposed to say, Jesus? He who believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he who believeth not shall be condemned. That's among the things you are to say. Uh, Romans 6 and verse 3 and following, uh, you are buried with him into his death, and you arise to walk in the newness of life. Now, it was 18 years ago that I was your preacher, one of your preachers here. 
I know your mouths are going, yeah, it was. (laughs) And the older I get, the more I like that word newness. Arise to walk in the newness of life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. You want to be new? Only the Savior can do that. He is our justifier. He is our emancipator. He is our substitute, our unequaled, unique Savior. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, even when he was walking on earth, people came to him. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. And Jesus said, Come unto me in Matthew 11 and verse 28, And all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's another word that sounds good. The older you get, by the way, rest. Newness of life and rest. Both of those words are very appealing. And you can have all that. In Jesus. If you ever have time, do a study of why people came to Jesus in the first century. It's an interesting study. John 6 and verse 26 says they came to him for free food. Luke 17 and verse 11, among other places, they came to him to be physically healed. Some came for knowledge. Read Matthew 5. Chapter 5 through 7, that greatest sermon ever preached, that Sermon on the Mount, uh, you'll get plenty of knowledge out of that. Some came to him just out of curiosity. In Luke 23 and verse 8, Herod saw Jesus and he was exceedingly glad for he had uh, desired for a long time to see him. He'd heard things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. He was a novelty, like buying tickets to a freak show for some. I have to tell you this, and I probably told you this when I was the preacher here because it it had a profound effect on my life. I mowed a yard one time when I was uh, about 10 years old. 1965, I would have been 11. I mowed a yard, and the guy paid me a dollar, and I went to Mount Sterling to the county fair and took my dollar, and I bought a ticket to see a two-headed goat. Nothing has really astounded me or astonished me since. That's what Jesus was to Herod, a goat, a two-headed goat, a freak show, a novelty. But that's not who he is. Zacchaeus was so curious about him, he climbed a tree to see him. One fellow in Luke chapter 19, or in Luke chapter 12, asked him to make his brother share their parents' estate with him. Tried to get him to settle a trivial family matter. Some wanted him to be military king. Others came to him for forgiveness By far, the most common reason people came to him in the first century uh, were the religious leaders came to trap him in his talk. But some came, Matthew 14 and verse 33 says, to worship him. So, let us wrap this up. Why should you come to him today? Well, he is your justifier and you have to be justified. You can't do it by yourself. You have to have an outside force for that. He is your emancipator. You're lost and imprisoned in sin. Nobody else can break open the prison doors but the blood of Jesus. He is your substitute. 
He'll take you whooping for you if you want him to. He is unique, unequaled, one of a kind. He is your Savior. He can promise you eternal life. John 6 and verse 47. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. So, let me encourage you. I know people my age, my grandkids hate for me to talk like this, but I don't care anymore. When you get old, you get away with this. They say, oh, he's oldest. This world's really gotten crazy lately, hasn't it? And continues to do so, it seems. So what I want to encourage you to do, there's too many buttons, come out of this crazy, sinful world and allow the one and only Son of God to cleanse you with His blood and allow you to start all over again in your relationship with Him. The result will be an eternal home in a place I don't possess the words to describe it. The Bible describes it in human terms, uh, pearly gates and gold street, golden street and, and uh, all of those things, but it's going to be a wonderful place. There's not going to be any sin there. Nothing that defiles, the Revelation writer said. And so let me encourage you this day, if you're not a Christian, if you don't feel comfortable coming to the front when we stand and sing, hold up your hand and get our attention. Somebody will come to you and, and work with you anyway. If you need to study more, if you're ready to obey the gospel, whatever it is. If you're a child of God who has fallen away, come home, come home. But there's a third thing that I always include in invitations. And that is if you are a faithful child of God and you're living the life, you're putting one foot in front of the other, breathing in, breathing out, doing the best you can, but life has you discouraged. You're struggling with something in your life. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, the cure for that is very simple. All you need is a prayer and a hug, and those are free. If you'll come right now as we stand and sing.